This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, it is Lola Berry here. Righto, what a week. Is everybody glued to their phones watching the USA election? I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm refreshing my phone every 20 minutes and I'm checking that the map is more blue than red. It is very, very nerve-wracking um, on a more local level to all our Melburnians there having, I think we've had six or seven days in a row now of zero cases. Whoop, go Melbs. This next guest is in fact another Melburnian. He is incredibly funny. His name is Nazim Hussein. He's also a Polish man ambassador, which is how I was able to get him on this podcast. Otherwise, he was pretty much untouchable to me. Recently, he went really far in I'm a Celeb, Get Me Out of Here. I asked him heaps about it. I was like, dude, did you really have to like swim with snakes and hold tarantulas and all those scary things? And he was like, 100% yes, there was no sugar coating at all. He's also really, really well known for obviously being a funny guy, but Legally Brown was a show that he wrote himself, a comedy skit show. I have put some of the skits in the show notes because he is that funny. And he actually, in this interview, breaks down a bit of a bit of the behind the scenes of the skits like everybody else in the room was pretty much an actor unless it was the person that the prank was being played on so you are in for a laugh you're also in for a really honest chat with this very kind human he's got so many podcasts out literally but he's got a new one called rogue son so check that out um big thank you nazim hussein you're an absolute legend and thank you for making me laugh loads during this podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Nazim Hussain, I'm so pumped to have you on. I'm a little bit nervous. I've never had a comedian what? on the show before. Oh, no. No, I mean, I'm nervous uh, talking to someone who is not a comedian because um, you see the world probably a little bit more normally, which is a healthier thing to be doing. And uh, I'm very conscious of being. Too, too, too weird normally. Okay, so there's no with such people generally. too weird. You can swear. You can do whatever you want. Oh, shit. <laughs> really? Absolutely, my friend. No, Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, do you know what? I started researching you and there was just so much out there and I was like, no, no, I've got to listen to a podcast where you're being interviewed. Uh-oh. And within five minutes in, my boyfriend and I were driving and my boyfriend looked at me and he goes, he's really smart, Lola. What? Oh, what? Yeah. Okay, you might have gotten me confused with Waleed because uh, definitely uh, that's not me. Well, I also listened to your interview with him on your show as well. But <laughs> so I went. I, I'm a Virgo, means I deep. I really like to research and mm. be. What prepared. month is Virgo? September. September. What? What are you? Fourteen. Ooh, happy birthday for. Two weeks ago. Yeah, thank you very much. How old are you? No, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> I think we're the same. I'm 35. Hey, yeah, same. Ah, perfect. Hmm. But you, okay, so you've done so much. Uh, we're talking TV, radio. You've got a plethora of podcasts. You're a prankster, <laughs> TV presenting, 
There is so much stuff. But is it true that you were a lawyer? This is what happens when um, when you just can't settle on a thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, it's weird, very weird. I studied law, science, then worked at. Uh, have you heard of, have you heard of a place called PwC? Yeah, yeah. I worked as I actually I worked as a tax consultant. So basically, um, yeah, I was like, uh, or my job was to advise people on tax. But uh, what I actually did was muck around a lot and um, have good relationships with the clients. Um, and rely on my team members' advice and, and numbers. And I'm, most of my work was always corrected heavily. But um, you know, so I wouldn't trust my own. I've got, I don't, like I have a, ta- ta- a tax account now and, um, and he's like, how do you not know this? Because didn't you work at PwC advising clients? So I apologise to any and all clients that I've represented <laughs> and worked for in the past. Uh, you might need to get a second opinion. So, but, so how did you go from the jump from law mm. Mm. into comedy because you're like one of Australia's most loved comedians. Oh, hey, come on. You've, 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 you've read the bio that I probably wrote. <laughs> it's a good bio. <laughs> uh, it was a weird um, – actually, I never planned uh, – probably I feel like a lot of people who do this sort of work don't really plan it, you know, like and I didn't. I just – I uh, you know, spent many years at uni, thought I was going to get a proper job and just, um, you know, get – you know, have a life that was just pretty normal. But I was doing comedy on the side. I never really had ambitions to be a comedian. I didn't even know how that would look or how people make money in that way. But um, I was sort of mucking around on the side, doing community television. I used to sort of do comedy as part of community work. Um, And uh, then, yeah, just sort of got busier and busier. And, you know, I'd say I never really said no to gigs. I always enjoyed doing them and I'd find a way to like, I always overcommit. That's sort of my problem. I say yes to too many things. In fact, Tomorrow night, I've realised I've triple booked for something, and I'm like, "Crap, what do I do?" So, uh, like, it's just my it's just my habit. It's a really bad thing, but um, but yeah, I just said yes to everything, and uh, things got busier, and, and and eventually, when I was working at PwC, um, um, the show that I did on SBS, Legally Brown, which I ended up doing yes. two seasons of, yeah, that yes. got commissioned, and um, and then they're like, "Oh, you got your own television show?" So yeah, we start filming or we start development pretty shortly. So you're gonna, yeah, you, obviously you got to. You know, what are you going to do? So I had to um, go to work and I told him, hey, uh, guys, I've got my television show that's just gotten commissioned. So, you know, if you guys don't want me to do it, I don't have to because, you know, obviously I'll, I'll put the firm first. Yeah. And they were like, Nazim, like you obviously have to do it. You can't not do it. Um, <laughs> you know, like uh, the, the corporate world's always going to be here. So okay. I just um, I thought I'd take six months off and I thought I'd be back. But I just... Yeah, just never came back. Never things just got busier after that. So it wasn't like I was like I'm leaving and now I'm doing comedy. I just thought I'd do it and then I'd come back and you know because there's a safety blanket there with employment. You know, you totally. got a paycheck coming in. You don't have to think when you go to work. Someone's just giving you the work. It's like school in a way, which is probably the bad way to look at work <laughs> as an employee. I was probably I was a horrible employee that got by because I had charm. I think and I just used to kind of like I did at school, always just making the teacher laugh or, you know, how could you fire him when he's just, when he's just such a people person? Yeah, so (laughs) likeable. So with Legally Brown, because uh, I'm a huge fan and I got this morning when we're having brekkie, I got my boyfriend, there's a scene on YouTube where you are like playing Will I Am, like and signing (laughs) autographs and then Jacob from Twilight. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. It was ridiculous. Basically, we're just testing the theory that um that all brown people look the same. And this is actually before Waleed and I got mixed up 
um, <laughs> when they reported him becoming the host of the project and they used a photo of me because it's just happened. It's happened to us and to happen to so many brown people so often. Um, people will talk to me and think that I am someone completely different. And I'll just continue the conversation because it's too awkward to correct them. Um, so basically, yeah, I went out and had a table set up in, I can't remember where it was in Sydney. I think it was and Parramatta. Parramatta, yeah, Parramatta. <laughs> and I had this banner next to me of the actual actor. So I was Will I Am yeah. with a banner of a photo of Will I Am. And then I'd sit next to him, dressed vaguely like him, completely <laughs> different build and accent and everything. And uh, there would be a big security guard and, and, and then I'd walk in and, and they'd be like, all right, uh, autograph time. And people would just line up. And I think it was a psychology of people just seeing a sign and cameras and also that other people were lining up. It just can be, people just don't want, you know, they don't, once, you, once you're emotionally hooked in, I think you just go with it. So, I, so, so Will I Am was very convincing. People clearly definitely thought I was him. <laughs> Jacob from Twilight, a few people that were like, is this really Jacob from Twilight? But most people believed it. Um, Sachin Tenduka, people were... Oh. believe that I was him. But even though I was literally playing, well, Sachin was playing at the time in India. Um, he was batting. Um, oh, and you were like, yeah, I'm, I've got to go in one hour. I'm getting a helicopter. <laughs> it <was> so ridiculous. <laughs> um, even, but Muttai Muralitharan, he's a Sri Lankan cricketer who I actually look quite like, like similar to because he's got, I've got like big eyes. He's got big eyes and I'm Sri Lankan, he's Sri Lankan. I guess maybe we look similar. Um, so we didn't actually use that part of the footage because it probably was genuinely convincing and not so funny, more just like... But um, then I did Jackie you Chan. You did Jackie Chan, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Obviously, people were just like, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so they drew the line there. But um, So yeah. my question is as well, like did you, because obviously Legally Brown, you wrote uh, most of the material, is that right? Yeah, well, so like half the show, so it was sort of set in studio like a stand-up. So, you know, I'd be doing, so I'd open the show kind of like a stand-up or a monologue to a live audience and then um, throw to the pieces that were, were recorded. So mm-hmm. whether it was sketches, which are just purely scripted things, um, or the stunts like the um, that one with Dwarf Dwar Brown yeah. people. And, um, yeah, so I would write along with a couple of other writers as well. Um, I guess some of the – many of the ideas might have been mine originally, but then we'd sort of develop it in a room, um, yeah. and we'd have guest comedians come in and help brainstorm. And so it was pretty collaborative. I think, um, you know um, – it's always, I find it fun. I, I really like coming up with, like really just thinking about what I would say, like kind of having some sort of authorship over ideas, but then um, then just throwing it around a room and seeing how people can develop it and make it funnier. And So, yeah, like the idea might have been okay, but then by the end of like a brainstorming session, it just becomes much, much, much funnier. And uh, even those stunts that are, you know, that were pretty heavily improvised, I had an earpiece in my ear with a director there who was hiding and... Um, you know, I'd be trying to make him laugh and if he, if he was laughing in my ear, then I'd be encouraged. But also he'd be then feeding me lines that we'd maybe written beforehand, um, either he and I or the writers or all of us in the room. So it was, um, you know, it looks super improvised, which it, it mostly is, but it's also just, but also, yeah, like it's a lot of it is kind of written and written on the run and, um, yeah, so it, was, it was a lot of fun. There's a wonderful, another, you're such a dream to YouTube because there are so many little like snippets where you're doing speed speed dating as an Indian prince. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That was, um, so we had this character called, um, uh, he was a prince of Mumbai, which actually was sort of inspired by um, a long time ago, I got an invitation. I used to work with the Islamic Council of Victoria and there was this we got this invitation for clearly a scam. There was this um, princess of Egypt in exile. She was having a 50th birthday party and she invited 
the Muslim community and the Arab community or Arabic community, which whatever that is. And she was like, you've got to pay 80 bucks a head. And I was like, this is clearly a scam. So I thought, all right, I'm going to call up pretending to be the prince of Mumbai. And I said, hi. I said, hi, I'm calling on behalf of the prince of Mumbai. They're in town for the next couple of days. Um, they'd love to attend. And they were like, oh, really? Yeah, all right. Get him to come. It was at some sports club in Werribee in Victoria. And um, so we, um, we went. I had me and my friends all dress up in like fancy clothes and they were my entourage <laughs> and had slaves and a driver and <laughs> and a, a dancing boy, and I, and I got to sit at the main table next to this fake princess, and the crowd of people there all believed that she was real royalty, and they believed I was real royalty, and I validated her because they thought that I was legitimate. People yeah. coming up, kissing my ring. This is just kind of for a bit of fun back in the day. And um, so when we when Legally Brown came about, I was like, got to do some sort of version of that. People believe anything. So, yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a pretend prince from Mumbai with a slave who I'd used to beat in front of, the, the, the unsuspecting members of the public and uh, order him around and speed dating. We did a speed dating one. We did we did, we did all sorts of ridiculous things <laughs> just to just to see what people would do for money. And some people we did this one where like there was I think it was that speed date. Oh, maybe it was another one where um, essentially I would go up to a couple on a date and convince the boyfriend or the girlfriend to let me be uh, the, the girl's partner for a week for however much money and whatever. And they would often just leave, agree to leave their partners and just to be with a prince that they couldn't even prove was real. It was kind of, it was very weird. So my next question is about the unsuspecting public that it is, because that was my probably my favourite one to watch where the, you're on this date with this beautiful unsuspecting girl called Renee and she's looking at you like, oh, my goodness, like, what am I in right now? And I've got to, like, you know, especially when you're, you're telling your slave, don't look at her, but dance for her. <laughs> oh and she's God. just like, oh, this is so wrong. Like, it, this awkward. poor girl is, like, going like a ghost. Like, you could just tell that she's getting more and more uncomfortable. How do you go, like, pranking the public? Do they sometimes, like, get angry at you, which I've seen oh. happen in the... The lifeguard when you oh, the yeah, lifeguard. Yeah. <laughs> was, well, well, the thing is, so we we um we set up a restaurant. So all the other diners at that restaurant were actually actors. So the whole restaurant looks like it's just an ordinary restaurant, and then the only person that doesn't know is the is the mark. So we'd have like eight unsuspecting members of the public that would do the prank calls. That was like a, a heavily set up prank. So so they walk into a world where everything seems normal, and then it's. Yeah. And then they start to question themselves because they're like, why isn't anyone else reacting to this weirdness happening right over here on my table? And so they sort of go along with things a little bit longer than they should. And um, it was so, it was bizarre because then when the date goes sour, I'd just tell off my slave and blame it on him. And then they would feel really bad for him. And I'd be like, don't feel bad for him. <laughs> He's a slave and all this. It was, um, it was very weird and like it's so difficult. For, I found it very difficult to not laugh a lot of the time, even though you know I'm doing the prank. Uh, I would disguise a laugh with a cough, and I'd just start <laughs> coughing a lot or just yelling to c- cover the laugh. But uh, it was so yeah. The um, so people didn't really react badly, and also everybody that you see on TV has to sign a release form. They have yes, to agree yeah. to all the footage, agree to everything. So everyone that you see, even when they do weird stuff, they've agreed to it. So the stuff that hits the edit room floor is in in a way, the funniest stuff because that's the stuff that they're too ashamed to let you to broadcast. Yeah, so people right. say sometimes racist things, sexist things, homo- but, but like also just crazy outbursts. And um, when, yeah, with, <laughs> with, with, with the lifeguard, like that was a show called Balls of Steel, which is the point is to be 
you know, as ballsy or as insane as you can to the point where you're almost getting bashed. And so um, I did actually get punched in the face once. It's the only time I've ever been punched in the face ever in my life. I was um, a bouncer not letting a guy into a pub uh, unless you could prove that he wasn't drunk by hopping on one foot doing the alphabet from A to Z. Then he did it from Z to A. And then the director in my ear, same director as Lee Brown, he was like, he was pissing himself. He's like, just get him to do A to K one more time, please. So I was like, okay, buddy, A to K. And then he started A, B. And when he got to F, he just punched me in the face and um, didn't see it. And uh, everyone in the pub was watching and they all came out and they tried to catch the guy and he ran away. And before he ran away, he said, he made me hop, he made me hop. And just... Uh, but I was paranoid that like I wouldn't be able to do comedy again. So I was like, let me see the footage right away. And because I just needed to get over it psychologically. Like, all right, cool, yeah. no worries. Uh, let's keep going. And they're like, oh, you've just been punched in the face. I was like, yeah, let's just keep filming, guys. Let's keep doing it. Because I was worried that I'd stop being funny. Really? So the, the, this is my question. Apart from the dude that punched you in the face, mm. it, when you do um, like a prank on an unsuspecting, like a person that's got no idea that you're about to do a prank, like poor Renee from her date, <laughs> yeah. um, at the end when they call cut, are you like, yeah. hey, thank you? Yeah, is it yeah. like that Ashton Kutcher show, you know, the prank show? Yeah, yeah. The um, Well, there's a couple of different types of, uh, oh, this is kind of giving away the, our process, but but this is what we did. So we do some, so, so, so for instance, that bouncer one, that would just be, any random people on the street. So someone would randomly walk into our scenario, whether I was carrying a clipboard, pretending to be a, an officer from the government or something. That would just be like a random, you know, then straight away as soon as I'm done, someone would come up to them and go, hey, keep it down. But um, you were just on a, a hidden camera co- comedy show. That's Nazim. They'd be like, oh, if you want to be part of it, you've got to sign. We would we'd try to keep it down because otherwise other people would see that this is a yes. prank and then we would spoil the area. Yeah. Um, but if it was more like the setup with the speed dating, one of their friends would have set them up to be involved in the first place. And, we would, you know, the producers would have put an ad out somewhere, like, do you have a friend that's, you know, single and um, up for a laugh or something or something? And then so when, the, when we sort of finished the pranky part, then their friend would come out and be like, I got you, it was me. And they'd be like, what, is this a prank? Ha <laughs> ha. And then they'd... Oh, you know, awesome. So it's like so punked, a bit like Sort punked. of like punked. It's also just like we don't want to humiliate anybody and make them feel like they've been laughed at. And it's not funny as well if, like, the joke's on them. It's funnier if the joke's yeah. on me, like if I'm the idiot and they're sort of acting reasonably. Um, so, yeah, we would always try to make, you know, it's a very supportive environment. We don't want to be like, oh, you idiot. Oh, yeah. You freaking <laughs> fell for it, you yeah. dumbass. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so um, you have been nominated for so many awards and Legally Brown got nominated for a Logie. Is that right? right. We got nominated. And you won. We were Logie losing. Yeah. <laughs> No, but you won Best Newcomer at the Melbourne International Comedy yeah. Festival, didn't you? I also won, which is an award not listed in many places, Funniest Muslim in, Did Australia, you really? in Australia by a bunch of Muslims in Sydney. So according to them, that's my, pro, that's my most prized award. <laughs> it's my mom's house. Bio-line. <laughs> Funniest Muslim. I mean, I don't know if we had much competition, to be honest. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, okay, this is what I found really hard to research. Um, I, after I saw a few clips of how hilariously funny you were, and as soon as you said yes, this podcast, my mum's like, oh, yes, very funny, Lola. Oh, really? Very oh, funny. Yeah. I'm in with your mum. You've got the mum approval. But yes. um, I quickly, because I love uh, Ricky Gervais and I love, you can look him up, he'll release the videos of him corpsing, so like mm. bloopering. Basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's so much, you could spend hours. And I was like Googling your name and blooper oh, and corpsing and, 
Do you drop? Like I know oh, you said that you yes. would like cough so, and pretend. So I'm, I'm sure there's something on on, uh, on YouTube with, like I am actually so bad. Like sometimes, um, like for instance, there was this one where we did a, a focus group um, sort of set up where, so again, like I really like the idea of like a mob and sort of seeing how people behave in a mob. So there's like a, like a focus group, people coming to test products and so there'd be four actors and then and we'd swap in one unsuspecting person every time. And so there's hidden cameras and the directors are in the, producer in the other room. And, uh, you know, I can't remember what the scenario was. Like, I think it was, it was like how to make your racist pet not racist and <laughs> um, de-bigotry pet medicine and, and then like selling weapons to children. The whole thing was weird. And seeing how like people react when everybody else is going along with this absurd idea, it would make me laugh so much. I literally had to face the whiteboard and just, um, and just like uh, pretend I was thinking for a long time <laughs> while I was actually crying with laughter. Um, one time when someone voted for weapons to be sent to children, um, I actually, um, I, 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 was, I was breaking down crying laughing, but I had to pretend like I was actually just crying of sadness. And <laughs> she had, so good. Oh, it was just weird. I'm actually really bad at it. I'm, I'm, someone that does, uh, has done a lot of this, I'm so bad. And, uh, yeah, it's... it's it, I, you've made me feel happy, though, that you... Because I was like, is he that perfect that he doesn't break? Because even, like, you look at all the SNL stuff and Will Farrell, they'll all break, like, at <laughs> oh. some stage of the game. And yeah, it's I like, the best bit well, to watch. Especially if you know what's funny. Like, when things are funny, um, like, I, you know, I, I like the, the sort of hidden camera stuff because I think it's... I'm like, imagine if they do this and then they do something completely different or they go beyond that. One time we convinced someone that she was invisible. I had this, I was a pretend guru... <laughs> And um, oh yes, and, I saw. <laughs> and we had so we had like there's two guests on the show, and there's like a studio, so it looks like it's a real television show. And one of the guests was an actor, and the other guest was a, a mark or unsuspected. And um, so I did this like chant where I pretended um, I was. It was actually me singing a Bollywood song. Anyway, then I was like, now I'm going to make you invisible. And then I made her invisible, which meant that nobody else in the studio could see her. But I was supposed to hear her, but I pretended I couldn't hear her, and everybody pretended that they couldn't hear her. And she literally started panicking. And then, um, and then I'd leave the studio like we are, we're legally covered for this, right? And then I'd leave, and then she'd freak out. But she actually freaked out. She ran up to the sound guy and wrote on a piece of paper, "I'm here," and she held it up to the camera. I was like, "What the hell?" Everyone, we, none of us expected this. We thought no one's going to believe that they're invisible, but she just thought no one could see her and that she'd been deleted. And so we had to run in and go, "Hey, we can see you. We can see you." Sorry, it's just a joke. And a friend came in and. But it was um, oh, so good. That sort of stuff, you know, you can't not laugh. <laughs> oh, so good. One thing I did find on you that made me laugh so much was I watched a bit of your I'm a Celeb, Get Me Out of Here. <laughs> and you feel like your gag, like you'll see someone vomit, you'll see something disgusting, you'll be like, oh, it, like you've got a very, sensitive a very gag. sensitive, it's, it's yeah. Really bad. It's uh, a. <laughs> It was actually hard to watch that because I'm I'm not in in like a, that makes me feel uncomfortable too. But I was like, oh my goodness, this guy. There's someone worse than it's, you. It's the but it's the worst place for someone to go <laughs> that is sensitive. Um, and I just wanted to ask a bit about I'm celeb, get me out here because there was a few clips I saw and I was like, how did he do that? And it was like snakes mm. in the water. Oh, like, man. was it, was, it legit? Like, it was the whole thing was the thing is I thought it was going to be fake. I, I I don't know why it took me. Um, two se- actually, they, they they came. They they asked. They inquired first in the first season, and I wasn't really comfortable. I didn't really know what the show was, and I was like, "Oh, this could just be some, you know, some stitch up sort of show where they just make people look ridiculous." And the third season, I uh, I remember stressing about the the decision, and then eventually said, "Yep, all right, fine, I'll do it." And then I uh, 
didn't really watch the show until I was in lockdown um, in, in the, in the yeah. jungle um, before you go in. And that's when I was like, oh, what, are, what's, what actually happens in this show? And, um, and then I was like, oh, this kind of looks real. Like it's not like a studio mm. where you just get fed off camera. I saw people crying and I was like, look at these idiots crying. They, don't they know they're on TV? And I found myself getting quite emotional in there as well. Because if you, uh, and then I saw people fighting as well. I was like, well, why would you fight and embarrass yourself when you're on camera? But like you just immediately, you find yourself when you're in there doing the same things because it's yeah. just, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting social experiment because after a week, it's not that you forget the cameras are on. You just get tired pretending to be someone that you're not. Like you, you, mm. you stop being this polished version of yourself. You just let your guard down. People start fighting properly and, you know, like. So good. As they normally would. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, all, the, all the, you know, the food. We, we had not much food at all. The trials were properly scary and there would be those, you know. But I also thought in the back of my mind was always the idea that, no, they're not going to kill me on television. Yeah. So just do it. And I would also think of my friends back home who would just make a lot of fun of me if I wimped out. So I was like, all right, I just have to do the thing straight away. If it was a bungee jump, I just, I was like, at the count of three, just do it. Like if you think about it, it's going to yeah. freak you out. So just, I just didn't hesitate with things. I don't know how you did the snake stuff though. I was like everything else, I'm like heights, yep, yep, yep. Even eating something gross, like gross, but snakes. Like so I feel like you have to face your actual fears like because there's so much stuff that they yeah. cover in it from a fear perspective, you know. It's, it's really, um, yeah, it's actually quite, I think, I don't know what, like when I think about it, it's really full on. But when you're doing it, there's something about the adrenaline of it. Like because yeah. you to actually do those trials, you got to like leave camp then you got to like get tr- driven there. Then there's this huge safety briefing. Then there's there's this whole build up, hours and hours and hours. And then the, and then and then the actual challenge is like ten minutes or twenty minutes or five minutes, whatever it is. So it's just it's almost just like you don't have time to. Well, I didn't have time to freak out in my brain. I think yeah. if I slowed down and took it in a little bit more, I would have. I did freak out actually a lot of times, but it was just like yeah, the gag reflex thing was the worst because the challenge is inside your body. And I think about food maybe a bit too like. Yeah. It was just the whole thing grows me out. And even to this day, I have children coming up to me on the street and pretending to throw up in front of my face. <laughs> makes me like, get, oh, so I'm like, piss off, kid. <laughs> like, it's just so, it's the worst. I saw, I saw when you got asked to basically invade people's space, like private space, whilst being in this really controlled environment where everyone's obviously, like you said, the unpolished version of themselves. And I love where Steve Price, you're like, do you want me to shave for you, mate? And he's like, no. And you like, you went about three or four times, like, you sure, like, I can just help you out here? And he was like, don't. Just off, mate. He yeah. almost slapped me. He's, he, I think he, I can't even remember if he has slapped me. And um, <laughs> I don't remember, like, it wouldn't put it past me. It would have been some sort of like, jokey slap but he's definitely um he and I in there we we actively sought to bang heads because it was just fun after all it became a sport like hey Steve and then whatever he did I'd say like hey why'd you do that knowing it would piss him off and then or he'd say something to me like so you know he just something political which would piss me off and then we just (laughs) started arguing but it was actually a good way to pass the time if it wasn't for Steve in there uh, oh, yeah, I would have had to fill that hole in. I don't way. know if you ever saw his, uh, he did an interview. You know how you do your Studio 10 interview as soon as you come out of the jungle? Oh, yeah, yeah. He did one and he the whole time was just like, 
if you want to book ticket to Nazim's show, Aww. do it. This I'll be on. I'll be up there as well. Um, he's my <laughs> like he was it. my bromance. Like he was there, like holding uh, your flat. It was very cute. That's actually. very nice. No, he's a he's a he's a sweetheart. Like uh, you know, he's a he's a nice guy, and that's the thing. You you know, sometimes it's a uh, uh, like especially when when you when you when you when you consider how he's how good a family man he is. It's yeah. hard to not like. And also, I think so, it's also hard for. Um, for people to understand how literally how much of a family you become in there. Like, you know, it's if yeah. you maybe do Q&A or you're on a show where it's two people with different opinions, it's very easy to just take them for their opinions and also, yeah. you know, as much as I find the political quite personal, you, 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 there's no reason for you to, like, try to like them. Whereas when you are forced to live with them, you actually have to find a way to, get along or to see the humanity in each other. It's a bit cheesy, but it, it was mm. actually quite, um, it was sort of necessary. So, um, yeah, we just, we eventually, like, he did very much annoy me. And, and to be honest, like his, his views still, um, I, I would often not agree with. And, um, but, it's, but it's, yeah, so it's sort of reconciling the person that I like with some of the things that he says or, that yeah. he, or the sort of people that he platforms and, you know, but we've kind got of been this- open about that wonderful dryness that I think yeah. it becomes very uh, almost comedic in his in his dry nature. Oh, he's very funny. Like he's, a, he's, he's got that sort of sense of humour that I didn't really grow up around but I found is definitely like a very Australian, maybe an older Australian type. Like I never really hung out with someone like Steve Price or a Dane Swan. Like these are people that yeah. I would never normally, that yeah. sort of person is not, wouldn't be my friendship circle. Um, so I was sort of discovering different cultures through these totally. people. It's very weird. But, you know. uh, I read that stand-up is your first love. Yeah. Would you say, so would you, first of all, would you say that stand-up is your first love? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, um, it's definitely like in, t- in terms of all the uh, entertainment-y type things. I don't know if you're talking about people as well. That's a trick yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> entertainment. Because I've got family. No, um, oh, I, I think, for, I think, um, if you're a comedian and you do funny stuff, I think stand-up is, for, for me anyway, uh, nothing really beats it because you got to, cr- even just being in a room as an audience member with a room full of people all laughing, yeah. sort of sharing in-jokes, um, even just the sound of it makes you feel happy. Um, and it, it, especially if the room, like physically is a good room where it sounds good, it's just yeah. a great energy. You can't leave but feeling better. Um, and if you're the one up the front, making the laughs, you know, and it's working yeah. well, you know, and it's sometimes spontaneous and it's like you can sort of say whatever you like. There's no there's no constraints with, you know, like rating or like the time of night that it's on television, you know, all that sort of stuff. You can just do whatever you like. Um, it's the best. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I, I really miss that. Um, of course, of course, with lockdown life because you're Melbourne, right? Yeah, it's, uh, so we've, we, uh, I think, well, most of us, I was one week into the national stand-up tour, my, into my, my tour, I, was, I did one week in Adelaide and then um, had the rest of the cities lined up, ready to go. Oh. And then, yeah, we just had to refund all our tickets. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, with stand-up, though, and I do really, like, I cannot wait until you get to be back in real life and doing <laughs> that. And But 
I imagine with stand-up, and I am being a very ignorant consumer right now, but I imagine the work that has to go in behind the scenes is pretty massive. Like you would probably have to write all your content. Uh, You also need to be able to manage your nerves on the night. It's not like a TV set or even Mm. a a set-up prank space. Like we're talking real-life people, Mm. uh, you know, you're potentially performing to thousands of people, you know, is there a lot of work that goes into the prep? I mean... I think one of the things that I learned as I became more of a stand-up was that, oh, there's a lot of craft involved here. It's not just getting up and winging it. Yeah. Like actually when I first started doing stuff in front of audiences, it was, like I said, at community events, um, maybe in the Muslim community, I'd be up and MC and I'd be sort of improvising between things. But it wasn't stand-up. It was just like me stitching together an event or maybe introducing something, saying a funny thing here or there. But actually to get up as a stand-up to, on a stage and just purely just there to do jokes. Uh, well, yeah, you've got to, there's a lot of preparation. And Jerry Seinfeld, I think, once said it takes him eight hours to write three minutes of stand-up. Oh, which, wow. And he's considered quite prolific. So yeah. it's, um, it's a writing-intensive thing. Uh, you have to try it again and again and again. The, and you have to fail in front of an audience. So to, the first time you do a joke, it's not tested. There's no other way to test it except in front of an audience. So you're going and you're doing something, you know, like no one... There's sort of not many other times when you have to when you when you're practicing in front of the real thing. Like mm-hmm. if you're a tennis player, you get to practice off court, you know, with your coach, yeah. whatever. But so yeah, it, there is that. But you can there's lots of different ways to mask, um, you know, like new material. Uh, if, yeah, the nerves is something that doesn't really go away, but um, but you get used to it. And you know, I don't get nervous. So I get nervous, but it's not like debilitating. It's yeah. um, Almost like something that helps you focus. It's a kind of excitement in a way, especially if the crowd's yeah. good. I get nervous in front of like an audience that I know is a bit weird. I'm like, oh crap, is a corporate yeah. gig or, or like yeah. or everyone's tanking or there's not, or it's like a socially, like I did like three gigs or two gigs in between these two lockdowns. Or maybe it was like before where there was like 10 people and I was like, oh, this is going to be the worst because it's 10 people. I actually prefer everybody. I think comedians prefer bigger crowds because yeah. then it's, yeah, it's more like easier to get laughs. Yeah, more yeah. energy. But it's, it's funny um, what you just said about um, excitement and anxiety. I studied acting school and they say that actors that get nerves before they go on stage, you it's often the body confusing excitement on a like psychological level mm. and that's why you get the palm sweats, you get the like funny tummy and it's actually often excitement and we just mm. interpret it as anxiety. So it's kind of that's why you were saying like you get the hyper focus as well. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, that, well, that's a good way to think about it for me actually. Like um, I do, yeah, I think definitely your body, uh, you can confuse, yeah, you can definitely confuse it and be like, oh, why are my palms wet or why am I like, you know, my, my mouth dry? But I think um, it is almost fight and flight, fight or yeah, flight. Yeah, totally. You know? It does feel a little like a a little bit like I imagine boxing or going into like a fight or a football game where it's just like, all right, it's all on for this 10 minutes or hour or whatever it is, um, you know. Uh, so there's that pacing that goes on. And then when you're on, it's like you've got to be – when you're on stage, you've got to be on straight away. You can't have like an average – you can't. you've got to be 100%. Um, yeah. Because if you're not, like it, could, it just jokes don't work or yeah. if you forget a thing, like you can do that in – you know, when I was at the office, you could kind of have an average day. You can coast – slip under yeah. the radar, but, but you touched yeah. on something that I'm really raptured in and you were like, we have to kind of as stand up comedians, you fail in front of an audience. And this podcast is called fearlessly failing. You've had uh, such a successful career and we're talking across 
a lot of spectrums of the entertainment industry, TV presenting, mm. produce your own TV shows, written your own TV shows, start in your own TV shows, radio, uh, a truckload of podcasts, uh, you know, You've done so much. Has there ever been any little setbacks where you've gone in and pitched a show idea and they're like, sorry, this is not going to oh, work for us? It has happened many times and it happens still all the time. Like it's, it, it might look like, um, you know, like it's, it's all about perspective. I think if you look at my career, you're like, oh, he's successful. For me, I'm like, oh, well, I can see all the, the nice things and it's nice that some other people, like you, you've just seen all the things that have done well or that have made you know, gotten your attention, but then you, yeah, you will not have seen the many, many things that have just fallen flat. The jokes that are just so bad that aren't even fun. like this awkward silences on our stage, the silence in a in a writing room or a or a meeting with a network where they're just like, okay, you know, like all that stuff. The comments, the YouTube comments, sometimes the death threats, like the. Uh, just, you know, walking through an audience after a gig and hearing them going, eh, that was okay. Or, ah. um, or just, you know, so you see, you're here and you see all that sort of yeah. stuff. But, you know, um, I think in comedy, just like in all um, kind of industries or professions or whatever, not that this is a profession, but you sort of, um, you know, you sort of just have to just get up again. You have yeah. to just keep getting up. Otherwise, like, you know, if you just sort of quit at your bad gig, you won't do another one. And, and you have to have bad gigs for, for a good gig to feel like a good gig and, like, uh, I feel really bad when a gig is bad. Like, it's don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm just Mr. Positive. I need affirmation. Like, I need, I call my manager up straight after a bad gig. I'm like, oh, my God, that was so bad. Oh, and then she'll be like, don't worry. You know, I need someone to, to stroke my ego a little bit because uh, you're putting yourself out there. And yeah. um, so it doesn't feel good, but you sort of, it's just, it's part of it. I, I don't know how, like, um, I've just grown to accept it. I think it's because comedians in general, it's just part and parcel of the culture of comedy that, you know, you, you hang out with other comedians and we just talk about bad gigs and it's almost very comforting. Like no one talks to each other about great gigs. We're just like, oh, man, I did this gig on a boat. It was Actually, I did a gig on a boat once. It's horrible. <laughs> and then you can't get off the boat for three hours. You're oh, stuck sh- on the boat. Um, which is just oh, no. Work. I could think of nothing worse. Oh, I, was like, I remember like I did this gig. It was so bad. <laughs> I was, um, I was actually during Legally Brown filming the first season and um, people weren't listening. People, no one was laughing at the, like, the jokes that I was like, okay, this will get them. And they didn't laugh. And I was like, crap. I came off stage and then everyone was sort of avoiding me like a bad smell. Two people spoke to me. Someone came up to me and said, if you try hard enough, mate, you might be as good as Akmal. I was like, thank you. And then uh, this other person came up and said, excuse me, mate, where's the toilet? And I was like, just over there. Oh, and, wow. Um, but I was paid to mingle with the crowd as well. So I was like, how am I going to? So I found the upstairs all like playing, um, it was like a casino type setup. So I thought I'll just sit here at this table and that's me technically fulfilling that requirement. So head down at this poker table and then no one was talking to me, which I was like, it's great. And then someone said at one point, excuse me, mate, do you mind passing me the rule book or like there's some rule book on the other side of the table? So I said, yeah, sure. So I reached across and I knocked over a jug of beer which poured all over the table and everyone just looked up and they're like, oh, it's that guy again, that freaking. <laughs> and so I was just like, so it was just the worst day and you just have to, uh, so I couldn't go Oh, up, no, th- thank you for sharing because it's nice to hear, like, the lowlights as well as the highlights. And like you said, it's about having that ability to kind of, like, stand <laughs> up again and get up again. Oh, you got to shake it off somehow. Now, podcasts. You, mm. my friend, have a plethora. <laughs> well, two, uh, I've done three, I think. 
I know, but you're also a guest on a lot as well. You're very. The, but oh, yeah. I, I was listening to Survivor's Guide yesterday, but I'm and you've done Burn Your Passport. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new creation is Rogue Son, yeah, yeah, on Audible. So yeah, that was um so good. That was uh, I mean, yeah, the other two podcasts. Well, Survivor's Guide we still keep keep putting out every Monday. That's just me just talking crap with another comedian. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but but yeah, Audible um uh, commissioned a podcast series where I go to Sri Lanka. And I spent two weeks or nearly three weeks in Sri Lanka kind of getting to know um, the Sri Lanka that I didn't really uh, get to know growing up because I grew up in Australia and I didn't really understand that heritage much um, because when I go to Sri Lanka, I'm with family and, you know, I've got a kid now, he's two and a half, and I Mm. thought before he is able to ask me questions about his identity, I'm going to quickly go learn the answers and be ahead of him. So I went there kind of with that intention and ended up finding out a lot of stuff that I. Yeah, just didn't think that I would even be interested in um, understanding uh, whether it was like the religious uh, harmony or otherwise in Sri Lanka, the kind of the political situation. Yeah, there. wasn't there like a political change while you were in the air? Yeah, so there was like a civil war in Sri Lanka and it kind of um, and it ended uh, about a decade ago. But the government that ended it has been accused of war crimes um, when they sort of, they've been accused of genociding the Tamil population. Um, when they when they tried to defeat the Tamil Tigers, they uh, allegedly may have also allegedly um, killed civilians. Um, anyway, that government has basically just been re-elected in, and we found that out. Like we were when we were in the air on the way there, um, that's when the election result was called, and uh, so we landed in a very different Sri Lanka, uh, a, a government that has again been accused of going after minority groups, and in Sri Lanka. I'm from a minority group. Muslims are a minority group. Tamils yeah, it's like are a minority 8%, group. Yeah, eight percent, didn't you? Say, isn't yeah. Yeah, yeah, eight You've done. You bloody. You know Sri Lanka. You know you're Sri Lanka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was like so. It was a bit. You know, people were very nervous, and uh, yeah, so it was kind of with that as a background, understanding and exploring Sri Lanka and speaking to people that we probably shouldn't have spoken to. We, um, you know. Oh, it's, it was just a lot of stuff. There was a lot of risky stuff that went on, but also quite funny. We had obviously a really fun, funny time. I learned Sri Lankan martial arts with a guy who taught me how to kill someone by blowing magic dust in their face, and then also bringing someone back to life. Oh wow! Doing the same thing. Yeah, it was, so it was. Uh, but he, he, yeah, it was, it was all sorts of all sorts of weird, wonderful things. And yeah, I was uh, pretty happy to have done that. And that's, that's a podcast. Now. Like, it's yeah, so that's weird on that, that's all. Yeah, that's now. audible now. Yeah. So, so I'm no, so interrupting my plug. Audible, <laughs> Rogue Son. <laughs> so uh, it sounds so because I I was able to read the bio and just get a little uh, snippet of it, and it sounded like yeah, you covered so much, and yeah. uh, and like for me, having a very naive vision, I've never been to Sri Lanka, but like there's the 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 version of Sri Lanka you see on Getaway, you know, and mm. I, and and that's kind of like you know very kind of like glossy, you know. Well, the thing is, it's like it's a beautiful, like actually straight after the Civil War ended, so there was like obviously it was dangerous. My memory of going to Sri Lanka throughout my life for trips has always been you get off the plane, there's there's army dudes in with machine guns, uh, you'd hear about suicide bombs going off around the place, uh, kids being put out of schools because like, oh, there was, you know, there's a threat of a bomb or this. Or that. Like it was just a civil unrest for as long as I can remember. But as soon as that ended, brutally, um, then suddenly Sri Lanka became like the number one 
destination on Lonely Planet. And heaps of, and it's, tourism has boomed. Yeah. Um, then there's obviously the Easter attacks, which, which affected that. But still, like, overall, I think Sri Lanka has been a place where I think it has just been opened up to the world in lots of different yeah. ways. But, yeah, it's got a very complicated history, especially with colonisation there um, and what that, that's done to the culture and to, to, to sort of the economic prosperity of the place and what it continues to do with, like, the way tea is almost, like, uh, Stolen from Sri Lanka in many, in, in, yeah. it's it's a uh, it's a yeah it's an interesting place. But much like many places in the developing world, uh, understanding how it got there is also kind of interesting and also a bit sad. Well, it's so good that you're uh, shining a light on yes, <laughs> confronting, but also like it's nice to know the truth. Yeah, as well. well, well, absolutely. I think you know, like uh, often I grew up in you know obviously in Australia and. Uh, I think I've always been interested in counterculture, you know, people that have always been agitators and, you know, not really accepted what's just fed to them, all that sort of stuff. I really enjoyed, you know, and I've been inspired by, you know, um, people generally from America, African-American, the civil rights mm. movement there. Yeah. Malcolm X. Like I, I, but, but, but I think I was, I, you know, so I've sort of um, politically my mind has been drawn to that struggle. But I think... I have always wanted to know a little bit about Sri Lanka and how I could connect to that narrative. And, you know, like there have been people there that have done amazing things and have, and have um, you know, challenged oppression and mm. uh, injustices. And so it gave me a sense of pride going there and understanding, totally. you know, yeah. So I'd like to pass that on. Um, Definitely. To my, to my and I, speaking of something else amazing that you've been involved with, and that is Polish Man, and it's all about literally ending violence against children. At the moment, it's hitting a billion kids annually. Mm-hmm. What made you want, I mean, obviously yeah. you want to oh. get involved. You've got a two, two-and-a-half-year-old, and I imagine you want to set up a brilliant future for them. But what mm. what was kind of like, you were just like, ah, oh, I've just, was it a mm. no-brainer? Well, I mean, uh, like you said, like it is um, it's such a the the cause is a no brainer thing, like um, violence against children, and understanding the facts and the prevalence of it was yeah. just shocking. How common and not how common, but just how like even in Australia we think, oh, this is a a first world country. We think about these sorts of things just happening overseas. It happens in our backyard. Um, that really got to me. But also speaking to the team, um, you can just tell there's lots of people doing lots of great things. Um, but but it's also nice to hear the passion in the team oh, yeah. and the work. You know, for, for me, it's just easy. I just put my name to it and I get to ride the good work that they do. I'm just literally helping, you know, raise profile, maybe raise some money. But then the people actually do stuff with the money are the people that work, you know, day in, day out. And they've done an, they do an amazing job. And I was kind of convinced by their passion immediately. But also, yeah, like having a kid, you know, as, as cliche as it all is, as soon as you have a child, like I find myself getting emotional, watching things on TV that have anything to do with a kid. <laughs> I watched Lion again recently and um, oh, yeah. the first third of it, I was like, oh, I had to, pour, I had to stop it. I had to stop, stop watching yeah. it after maybe 20 minutes and then I watched it again um, last night or the night before, finished it again. But it was, uh, yeah, like it's a, it's a very, it's a weird because you see your own child in it. So, yeah, um, yeah it's a... Uh, and Polish Man is the reason why I've got you here today. So without Polish yes. Man... I would never have met you via Zoom. Exactly. And this would never have happened. Not at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> thank, you, po- thank you, Polish man. Thank well, you, Polish, Polish man. There's and also w- a Polish woman now, isn't there, as well? I saw well, someone. 
Yeah, and I, well, because I got involved and I was like, oh, is it okay? Like I've always seen like Chris Hemsworth be the face of it or Vance Joy, you know. And they're like, no, 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 we want Polish women to be involved as well. So I am officially involved Mm. too. Um, But what's so, if we, what can we look forward for you? Obviously after lockdown ends and, you know, um, (laughs) there is some kind of normality. Will you, you know, will you pick up your show? What's your plan? I mean, at the moment, um, because all the live stuff is is, is you know it's cancelled. Um, I've been all, well apart from the weird Zoom gigs. I've been spending time writing, so a book at the moment, a children's <laughs> book, kids' book, and also just developing a new 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 TV thing. So awesome. you know all those things take a lot of time, but um, yeah. you know what, what better time to start than right now? So we've been developing that and um, you know online writers' rooms and that kind of thing. So it's oh. Who knows? You might just see me on the corner just yelling jokes out and with a hat. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you said you're writing a book because as I was researching, I was like, this guy's got to have a book or write a book. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wrapped that you're doing one for kids, but I think you should do an adult book too because, oh. um, yeah, you've definitely got a book. I don't know. Friend. I feel definitely, like um, definitely. I just think, yeah. I, I promise you. Have you got a book? Or you do, yeah, you I'm, I'm also, I'm working on my 11th manuscript right now. I'm a my, pretty what big the hell? Not, not big, I'm, as in I write heaps is what Shit. I'm going to get. So you're yeah, a so writer. So you're a writer. You could actually just write. I, for me, it's like a, a real effort. No, no, I'm not naturally smart at all. In fact, I was so nervous. What are you talking about? 11th manuscript? <laughs> But it's about, I write about nutrition and health. It's very if, if yeah, not like hard. stuff that requires facts. <laughs> or I just tell stupid things that happen to me, and then this happened, and then this happened. Just show and tell. <laughs> show um, and tell is good though, because at the end of the day, and you touched on it about I'm a slave, get me out of here. It's all about like human connection, and I think that if you can write about yourself, and I would like even just. Consuming your stuff on YouTube, I, I felt like I was like, oh, this guy's a legend, very smart, which is intimidating, but <laughs> oh a legend. Oh, my God, seriously. So you should be absolutely writing. Nazim, <laughs> it's been I'll, a t- I'll, 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 You can be my ghostwriter, all right? How about that? Done, done oh, deal. It's sick. been a total honour to have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much um, for having me. I, I feel like this is now the highlight of my week so far. Feeling is mutual, my friend. <laughs> Nazim, thank you so much. I thank cannot you. wait to... See you in real life one yes. day. Yeah, I'll yeah, be an yeah. audience member when you've got your thousands in the audience again. It's going <laughs> to happen. 10, 20 people, depending no. on the rules. We'll see. <laughs> see you, bud. See Thank you, you. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm